Millard House, the director of schools for Clarksville, Montgomery County, joins Charlie Kuhn and Katie Gamble to talk about the reopening plan for CMCSS and what parents need to know before sending their kids back to school. He also talks about the continuing plans for the virtual school and why snow days could be a thing of the past. All in this episode of Clarksville's Conversation. Hey, this is Katie Gamble. I'm here with my buddy Charlie Kuhn for another episode of Clarksville's Conversation. And this gentleman's no stranger. He's uh, always been very gracious about coming on and chatting with us, hasn't he, Charlie? That's right. And, and we love having our director of schools, Mr. Millard House, with us. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. It's always uh, good to be in the presence of uh, both of you guys, and I appreciate you, you having us on. Well, you right now are probably one of the busiest men I know in this community. You have a lot going on. There's, there's definitely quite a bit going on, but, um, but, but our job is to, to, to do the best that we can to, to serve this community as well. And, uh, and we feel like that our reopening plan is, is reflective of the feedback, the data, and, um, and everything else that goes along with what the last five months has looked like. So, uh, so we're working hard and, and, uh, and continuing that process uh, with a fluid plan. Now, you told us in a previous interview that you guys have put together a committee that kind of helps you oversee these COVID issues. Talk to me a little bit about that committee, who it's made up of, and how they all came about. So it's, it's interesting. We, we do have a committee, and that committee is, is our Communicable Disease Committee, and it's comprised of several different individuals um, uh, from, from the school system, also the health department, um, uh, the CDT, as we call them, uh, continuously monitors and, and, uh, and uh, evaluates uh, the state, uh, local, uh, the national landscape in terms of the data, uh, the safety and health of students and employees. Uh, we, uh, at, at one point, Katie, we were actually meeting every day. Oh, I bet. <laughs> and those meetings, you know, would go for about an hour long, but they were efficient. There was so much changing along mm-hmm. the way. Uh, so right now that team is made up of about, of about 30 individuals. And um, that's a big group. It is. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, we have a safe, uh, a safety and health team already. Uh, mm-hmm. That was uh, a part of uh, the school system and has been a part of the school system for years. Uh, but this particular team has representation from every department, uh, as well as guests that we bring on to, uh, to speak to the team uh, this last mm-hmm. week. We uh, were fortunate enough to, uh, to have uh, a, a guest pediatrician, Dr. Faust, who's, a, who's actually a local pediatrician. So we have another uh, doctor that will be on this week. Uh, that continues to share information with us uh, around our reopening plans and advice uh, that uh, that's been very good for us as we as we continue to move forward. Well, I know there are you get a million questions and probably many new ones every day that you might not think about. But talk a little bit about the survey and parents, yeah. because I know going through this process, parents have jobs. You know. How, how do they determine if they're going to be in school or virtual? How's that going to work? So the, the, the school system sent out uh, an electronic uh, form survey to parents uh, early on uh, to really get a feel of exactly how many parents, you know, wanted to think about the possibility of some kind of virtual education uh, and vice versa. Uh, and the interesting thing is, as, as we look at our data now in terms of the number of students that have enrolled, uh, in comparison to that initial uh, survey data that we sent out, it's uh, it's it's very consistent. 
Uh, so <laughs> I think the difference between uh, the data that we, or the survey that we sent out early on is that we only had about 50% participation. Uh, now, um, in terms of signups, uh, we've had over 80% of the community to sign up and 60% of the parents out there have essentially signed up for traditional schooling and, um, and about 40% have signed up uh, for a virtual school. Uh, so the survey was a really good starting point. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're, we were at about 35% that uh, we're looking at virtual, whereas we're looking at about 40% now. So we were very consistent. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was helpful in our planning. Um, uh, and, and, and we do have to uh, reshuffle some resources. Uh, and that's why we have a cutoff of the 23rd, uh, which is just in a couple days. And it's a tough decision for, for any parent to make. Uh, much like you guys, I'm a parent of two, and we had to sit down and have that conversation with our elementary student and, and, uh, and our high school student uh, in terms of exactly where we were going to land as, as parents and as a family uh, as well. You know, I, I like that you say you had a conversation with your kids because that's exactly what, you know, I did. Mine, I have one going to middle school and then one going to high school. And when I, we're doing traditional and I, I – applaud everybody for do, being where they're at and being comfortable where they're at. But for us, I mean, my kids, they needed the interaction. They want, they were ready to get back and they were, it wasn't even a, they didn't think about it. No, I want to go to school. Yeah. So, yeah. and that's interesting, Katie, for us as a family, both my wife and I work and um, we, um, my daughter who's in high school, we, we felt like she could, she could make the choice and, and do it. Mm -hmm. And she actually chose virtual. Uh, mm -hmm. She's a 4.0 student, has done well, is very responsible, um, did better, much better than her father ever did, yeah. and um, mother too. Uh, but yeah. uh, but my, my son, it was a little bit different, you know, mm -hmm. mindset. He's, he's elementary, and he, he said, Dad, uh, I miss my friends, mm -hmm. I miss my principal, I miss my teachers, um, and I want to go back to school. And, um, and so we're, we're, we're split household. We've got one yeah. that's going back and we have one that's, uh, that's going virtual uh, and we're going to make it work. Well, well, that's where, that's the beauty of it. You need to be okay wherever you're at and yeah. you've given everybody that, that option and there's no right or wrong. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But at, well, at the end of the day, uh, there, there's been a lot of tough decisions that, you know, oh. we've had to make. There have been some things that people agree with some people, some, some things that people didn't agree with, but I think, this, this decision for parents is just as tough as the decisions that we had to make as well. Uh, because, and, and they're tough decisions that the teachers are having to make mm -hmm. also. Um, you know, you're seeing nationally a surge of, of teacher organizations that are out there that have major concerns. And, and those are concerns you have to listen to and pay attention to that are uh, concerns that are, are rightful concerns uh, that, um, that are being heard. And that's no different here in, in Clarksville. We have two teacher organizations and, and we're having conversations with them every week. And we've had conversations weekly with CMCEA and PET um, for, for several weeks um, to make sure that they understand exactly where we are with the reopening plan, that there were no surprises uh, to them. But even with you know, all of those communications, they're still concerns. And, uh, and those are concerns that uh, we take, you know, uh, uh, we see as very valid and, uh, and we want to pay attention to. Uh, and uh, we're looking forward to those continued conversations with uh, with teacher organizations as well. Well, I, I saw where recently you just um, moved someone in, into place to handle the virtual schooling. And with 
I know that's a, that's going to be a big job for her. Um, so say 40% of the kids are virtual. What happens if there's another shutdown for some reason and then everybody's virtual? How do you build reserve for that? How do you handle that? So virtual is, is parent choice, and that's a school. Uh, and I think that's uh, – and, Charlie, I'm glad you asked this question because it's important that people understand that. Uh, and remote is our choice, uh, and that's simply if we have a snow day, if we have to shut it down, like you said, because uh, cases continue to rise and it's not a safe environment for our teachers and employees. Uh, remote uh, is not the exact same thing as the virtual school. So if, okay. if, if you start out as virtual, we're asking you to stay in virtual for at least a semester uh, because it's a specific platform. Schools PLP is the platform, uh, and we've had that platform at our early college high school. So this is not new to us, but the expansion of it is new to us. Okay. Uh, now, remote uh, will, will be a little bit different in that there still will be teacher interaction, but you won't be working specifically on the platform of schools PLP. Uh, that, again, is a specific software, specific platform. Aaron Hendricks, uh, who is the elementary principal at, at Sango Elementary, who is highly regarded, very experienced, uh, just moved into a position where she's, she has the largest school in the, in the school system. Yeah. Uh, and I, I joked with her this morning, uh, and she was literally on her computer counting additional students that were being added to the virtual roles, uh, K through 12. Uh, but though they are two different pieces. Uh, what we decided to do early on uh, was ask the state, uh, and, I, and I reached out to Commissioner uh, Penny Swin and, and asked her, hey, we have these 13 days that we get every year, and they're, they're called stockpile days. And we want to take these stockpile days, and instead of using them for potential snow days, potential professional development, we want to put them on the front end of the school year mm -hmm. to give us an additional 13 days before school starts. And that will allow us to continue to prepare, give ourselves time to see how things are materializing in terms of uh, the safety and well-being of, of employees and, and the growth uh, or dissemination uh, of, of the virus. So it gives us more time to prep, gives us more time to wait and see. And, uh, and, and, and it's funny because when we talk about snow days and inclement weather days, those are really uh, things of the past. Uh, because we now have the ability to go remote. We have the ability to have a large group enrolled in our, in our virtual school. Uh, so we're able to use these stockpile days on the front end uh, to prepare like we're, like we're preparing, and, and we feel good about it. I was with principals this morning, um, elementary principals this morning, as they were doing their first full-day training. They're actually still at it right now, uh, preparing you know, for, uh, for the start of school and what it could look like. So you're telling me that the days are all the neighborhood kids get together and go sledding are gone? It's gone. Go have to do it on Saturday <laughs> and Sundays. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> right. That's interesting concept. I mean, it, it does make like we probably will never have snow days again after this if we've learned how to do it remotely. And, you know, the interesting thing, uh, this is not just for the immediate uh, need of, of COVID-19. We, we feel like our virtual school will meet a need for a long time. There's, mm -hmm. there's a group of students, uh, much like my split household, that, you know, one, one wants to be in traditional school and one wants to, to, to be in virtual school. We feel like that there's going to be a one and a need out there for virtual schooling for a long time. 
Uh, so we don't plan on doing this for the short time or for the short uh, time period. We, we want to expand this, get better with it. Uh, and, and, and again, we've had it since 2018 at, at the middle, um, uh, the early college high school. And we're only looking to make it better and to ensure that we have uh, the right kind of support for families to be successful in it. So let me ask this question, which probably has nothing to do with anything, but it's just got my brain thinking when you're talking about remote. So, you know, previously in the past, let's say you got the flu. I mean, you could be out for a whole week sick. Will this type of technology allow those students to make up their work before they come back to school in the future? It, it very well could. It very well could. And, and some of that was happening even prior. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we would hear uh, with, with, you know, Google Docs, and some of the other platforms mm -hmm. that were out there, many of those teachers were communicating with, with kids along the way, especially at the secondary level. Mm -hmm. uh, the elementary level, that could open up that kind of window where, where we could mm -hmm. be you know, moving a child you know, in and out of remote. It's not something that we've, we've moved forward to, to, uh, uh, to indicate that we're doing, but it definitely opens that door for additional growth and possibilities for the future. Yeah, especially, I mean, there's all kinds of illnesses out there, and some of them can last for a good bit. Absolutely. So well, let's talk about teachers for just a minute. You, I mean, they're really scrambling right now. They've been learning how to do this virtual stuff. They've been working really hard. Um, what kind of response have you been getting from the teachers coming back? Uh, have you had an influx that want to retire early or move, or are they all kind of okay with it, or is it kind of relating to the parents? I'm just curious how they feel about it, the teachers. We've had very few COVID-driven uh, retirements. We have had, I know, one, possibly a couple. Uh, but as we go back to the survey data, we did survey our teachers as well as, as, well as our mm -hmm. parents. And our certified staff, which include teachers and administrators, 62% of, of our certified staff essentially indicated that they wanted to come back in a traditional uh, manner. And then we also interviewed or uh, surveyed our, our classified staff as well. And of our classified staff, about 55% of them actually wanted to come back in a traditional sense uh, in terms of schooling. Uh, so, you know, that, that was loud and clear. You know, you do the math, you know, that's, that's over, you know, close to 60% of our total staff, mm -hmm. that, um, um, uh, school-based staff that wants to, to come back to, um, uh, to schooling in a traditional mindset. So um, again, we've only had one to retire because of COVID, uh, but we've had individuals that have reached out and said, hey, you know, I have underlying issues, right. uh, health issues. Uh, what can be done? Um, you know, mm -hmm. I still want to teach. I still have a love for children, but I'm scared. And mm -hmm. uh, so we've, we've, we've set up a line of communication where they can uh, touch base with our, our human resources department. And we have somebody specifically in HR, uh, Michael Tharp, uh, that can uh, develop uh, a conversation with those individuals and, and talk about uh, whether specific accommodations need to be made uh, because of those medical issues. Uh, so we do have a, a small group of individuals that have qualified uh, through those means to, uh, to participate in a different way with some kind of accommodation that meets their schedule. And then there'll be some right in the middle <clears throat> that may not, you know, may not meet the, uh, um, uh, have the needs uh, medically uh, in place uh, to uh, to have accommodations made, but they're still scared. Mm -hmm. And those are those are ones that we're we're still having conversations with. 
Uh, we're, we have a Friday conversation set up with our, our two teacher associations, and we'll continue to have that conversation because um, uh, teachers' concerns are our concerns, and we can't do this work without them. And, right. uh, and it's important for us to, uh, to make sure that we're listening to each and every you know, um, concern that they have, each and every uh, potential solution. Uh, that they have. And that's one of the things that we've asked them. You know, if, if you bring a concern, let's talk about not only that concern, but what, what a solution might look like uh, as well. Because right. uh, this is not just a, you know, a, a Millard House time to, to, uh, to push ideas and make decisions. This is a time for our entire communicable disease team, our teacher associations, everybody. We, we've all come together and we're thinking through how to, how to develop the best solutions to ensure that our students have their needs met best. That's awesome. Hey, um, I've, got, I've got two questions. Um, last time we spoke, I talked to you about um, buses and you know the kids on the buses. And so how, how does that work when you have fewer kids traveling by bus? And what if there were some kind of breakout between some of the drivers and you lost some drivers? How do you backfill all that so before COVID-19 we were short drivers <laughs> right it's <laughs> true and so what we do know as I mentioned earlier um, we have 40 percent uh, of our parents of the 80 percent that have uh, that have um, let us know that they're going to go they're going to go um, uh, virtual uh, so we know also that we're going to have less students that are going to require transportation but on top of that we also, uh, in a, another nifty survey, we asked our parents, you know, how many of you uh, plan on actually riding buses versus not riding buses? And we had 35% um, of, our, of our school system uh, so far, of that 80% that have, that have let us know, 35% of them, which equates to be about 10,000 students that said they're going to be bus riders. Mm -hmm. And about 18,000 uh, have indicated that they're not riding transportation. Now, in the past, we've, we've transferred, transported about 30,000 students daily mm -hmm. to and from school. And again, that statistic is significant. So we're going to go from 30,000 students riding buses on a daily basis to about probably, I bet you, between 10 and, 10 and 13,000 wow. uh, that will be riding buses. So that's a significant decrease. And because of you know, CDC guidelines, American Academy of Pediatrics guidelines, uh, health department guidance, um, that decrease is going to help us significantly. Uh, so we still want to get students to and from school safely. And Charlie, to go back to your specific questions about, you know, what if uh, we, we have, you know, positive cases that come up with employees that drive, drive buses and we end up uh, having a shortage, uh, that could still hurt. Uh, but what we do know now is that we're going to have a huge influx of people that will be dropping students off yeah. that I think can help us out significantly. Yeah. Now, did I read somewhere, too, that every day you guys are sanitizing those buses as well? We are. We are. Yeah. Our, our operations department has, uh, has put together a, a specific plan of, of after every uh, drop, every route uh, that they make, uh, they're stopping. Uh, sanitizing with the necessary uh, chemicals uh, that uh, that meet uh, the necessary guidelines. Uh, they're going back and, and making that happen uh, before they move forward with their next route. 
Yeah. Which is good. So, so I've heard people ask this question. It's kind of in line with what Charlie's asking. And so I want to go ahead and ask it that I know you guys have a plan in place. Like what is the protocol? If the teacher comes down with COVID, do you have to test all those? I mean, what is the protocol if something like that happens? So first of all, if, if we get a, a, a positive, um, you know, for a teacher or an employee at a school, of course, the, the natural thing that the, the uh, the health department will uh, will indicate is that 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 person needs to to go home, right, uh, and and work on their health uh, at home. And um, uh, last year, of course, uh, it was a completely different you know different different situation uh, in comparison to this year because there are thousands of cases across you know the the state. You know we're over a thousand in the county right now, and um, uh, so we were where school systems may have shut down the entire school system back in March. Uh, the focus will be that particular school. Gotcha. Uh, so, uh, so instead of shutting down the entire district, we'll look at that particular school. We'll work with the health department, let them do their contact tracing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that contact tracing is, is, is very significant. I'm sure you guys have had conversations with Joey. Um, and, you know, they, they call positive, uh, you know, cases two to three times a day see how they're doing, find out who they've been in contact with. Well, we'll get that information from the health department and find out, you know, uh, what students, you know, they've been in contact with. And some of that information we'll already have because, you know, we'll know what their schedules have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it may be a case where we shut down a school for, you know, a few days, three or four days. Uh, that school goes remote instead of okay. the entire district going remote. Um, so it really just kind of depends on the situation there. There could be with some of the hot maps that are being utilized. Uh, there could be a particular area of town, uh, where we're seeing a lot of positives and it may be more advantageous for us to move forward, uh, with a shutdown of a particular campus of three. So So that campus would go remote and I'm using the word remote because it's not virtual. You're all over it. You are all over it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, so that's, that's what the possibility is. Uh, so our, our, our hope is to, to not see major disruptions with the learning process. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it doesn't make sense, you know, in my eyes to, to shut it down at, at, at every school in the school system uh, when you don't have to. Uh, I agree. So we're learning more every day and, uh, and paying attention to, to the guidance of our, our health officials uh, in, in every step of, uh, of the way as well. Well, I, as we were as we were talking, I was, I was thinking about less students in school, and we've always we not always, but for years have had an overcrowding problem, right? So now it looks like we might not be so crowded. So how do you plan for the future as you're looking at these school sites and expansions with so much virtual stuff going? So, uh, but what we're thinking uh, in reference to the overcrowding that we were seeing, especially at the middle school level, we were at a 127% capacity at our middle schools and over 100% capacity at our high schools and upper 90s in our, in our elementary school. So, we know that overcrowding is um, once the pandemic, uh, whether it's, you know, three months from now, whether it's a month from now, a year from now, regardless of how long it lasts uh, in, our, in our lives, in our community, um, the hope is, and what we know is that, uh, there's no possible way that we'll have a school ready next summer. There's no possible way that we'll have a school ready until, uh, 2022. It takes a couple years to build a school. Uh, we're making some significant headway, 
and I think we're further along now than we've been probably in five years uh, in reference to, to building the school. But one of the things that we are looking at uh, are some other ways that we could possibly, you know, house our kids in the future, just in case a school is not built. But as I indicated, um, we are, we're making some, some great headway, of course, that's a whole different conversation because we have a land acquisition committee that uh, consists of the mayor, myself, three board members, uh, a few county commissioners as well. And uh, we're meeting consistently. There's some conversations with some, uh, some outside sources as well uh, to help this along the way. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited about the headway that's being made um, piece of land that's being focused on right now. Uh, You're not going to tell us, are you? What's that? You're not going to tell us where it's at, are you? I'm losing connection, Katie. Did you? I said you're not going to tell us, I'm are you? I'm giving a hard time, Katie. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, probably, you never know. Until we have a done deal, it's it's just, it's just not smart to say. Uh, oh, right I now. know. I knew. I knew it was a long shot. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to put that landowner out there. He's been great uh, to work with, and uh, and we're looking forward to hopefully finalizing a deal uh, in the uh, in the near future. So we've talked a lot. There's a lot going on. Is there anything that we've forgotten to ask you that you think that people really need to know? You know, one of the things that I think is extremely important, we, we talk a lot about, um, you know, our, our current students. And, uh, but I want to focus for just a second on, uh, on our seniors that just graduated. Mm -hmm. uh, that this group of kids lost a lot. And uh, I, was, I was in conversation with, um, with our uh, an employee in the school system that's in charge of CTE. And we're thinking through ways of how we can continue to support that group of students because many of them that may have had plans to, to go to college and those plans, you know, have had a, a curveball thrown into them simply because, um, you know, that's that college is online for the first semester mm -hmm. and they may be choosing to do something else. So we're looking at, you know, doing some reach out to employers in town to find out. And I know we've gone from a 2% unemployment rate to an 11% unemployment rate in Montgomery County. Uh, but the interesting thing about Montgomery County is you look at the, the, the community, the data, is that we still have employers that are hungry to hire. Uh, so we want to wrap our arms around that, potentially, you know, do some job fairs, invite some of those seniors back. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I was really troubled with, uh, with, with what they had to go through. They lost a lot and, uh, I don't want them to, to go, to feel like they're forgotten. They're not. Uh, so we, we, we plan on trying to do our best to continue to support them. I also want to stress that a big portion of our data is built around our incoming students. We're a growing school district. We sometimes grow by 1200, 1300 kids a year. Um, we have a group of, you know, anywhere between 1,800 and 2,000 kindergartners that will enroll um, this school year. Uh, so I want to encourage as, as many parents as possible, if you haven't enrolled and you have an incoming kindergartner, please get that done. Uh, you can go over to Greenwood, uh, our enrollment center, um, and schools will actually be back uh, in their buildings in the next couple of weeks, and they can go to the schools to uh, to do that enrollment. So I think that's extremely important because those parents will have a choice to make as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and being that they're brand new into the school district. And the last piece would be, you know, anybody that's transferring into the school system, um, it, it's going to be important, you know, whether you're a military uh, family or a family that's moving into our wonderful community, 
It's important that we get this process done so that we can figure out exactly how we're going to educate your your children, whether it's going to be virtually, traditionally. Mm -hmm. Uh, We want that choice to be there. But as early as possible that you provide us with the right information, uh, the best we can provide you with the right choice. Well, once again, I appreciate you coming to join us. I know you've had your hands full. You're, I would hazard a guess probably you and the two mayors are probably the busiest people in the community right now. And there's no blueprint for how to handle a pandemic. And hopefully we don't have to do it for a long time. So thank you for all you do. And thank you for taking care of our kids. You know, as a mother with two kids in the school system, I'm very proud that you're the one leading the charge because I trust you completely. We appreciate you guys always being a positive source of information and, and, uh, and, and making sure everybody has the right information as well. Dearly appreciate you guys. Subscribe to Clarksville's conversation wherever you get your podcasts. You don't miss out on a single conversation.